Welcome to Disputes Digest for the week of March 14th, 2022. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with news from around the international dispute resolution field. And if you haven't already, take a moment and share the show with a friend or colleague. And if you've got any feedback for the show, drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. And you already know the drill. Don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps others find the show. All right, now before we get into our first story of the day, one quick announcement. And it's an event that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, and I cannot await to attend. The International Arbitration Masterclass, brought to you by the Dispute Resolution Section of the American Bar Association. This two-day event is an exclusive opportunity to sharpen your practical advocacy skills, from preparing for the hearing to cross-examinations to closing statements and more. Attendees will have the experience of working firsthand with world-class practitioners on topics from across the international arbitration field. As I've been mentioning, I'm moderating a session on closing statements. Our session will feature comments and perspectives from the likes of Punke Adekoya, Carolyn Naren, and Michael Nolan. We've been prepping for weeks and we are excited to share with the attendees. And remember, while general admission is 475, if you are a listener of Tales of the Tribunal, the ABA is offering a 50% discount for two days of instruction and guidance from industry-leading professionals. There's still seats available, but when they're gone, hey, they're gone, and there's just a week left, and there's few seats remaining. And you'll have to wait till next year. So don't miss out, and we'll include the promo code in our show notes. Head on over and register now. Okay, on to the show. Let's start this week in the United States as a U.S. Senator introduces a bill to ban forced or compulsory consumer arbitration clauses. Senator Sherrod Brown, chairman of the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, has introduced the Arbitration Fairness for Consumers Act. The legislation seeks to amend Title X of the Consumer Financial Protection Act of 2010 and would prohibit pre-dispute arbitration agreements and class action waivers in contracts for consumer financial products and services. Under the bill, such agreements would be invalid and unenforceable. The bill is co-sponsored by other members of the Senate, like Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Ed Markey, and Dianne Feinstein. The sponsors hope that the bill would mitigate abusive practices for financial products and services with Brown stating, forced arbitration clauses let big companies hide from accountability and silence victims, giving more power to Wall Street over workers and their families. Among other reasons, the sponsors point out that consumers should not be compelled into arbitration to seek restitution from malfeasance of financial institutions, where they win just 9% of the filed claims. Passage of this bill would be a blockbuster change for the credit card industry and impact would be far-reaching, effectively voiding any arbitration clauses in new credit card or current disputes and heaving parties into private negotiations, court, and, of course, leaving the parties to agree on alternative dispute resolution platforms. We'll include a link to the bill next to an article in the show notes. Then, let's stay in the United States and talk about this D.C. Circuit Court holding that the SIA arbitration exception to sovereign immunity applies regardless of the moment of award at the seat of arbitration. On March 11, 2022, the U.S. Court of Appeals clarified whether U.S. courts have jurisdiction under the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, or FISIA, over actions to enforce arbitral awards that have been annulled by a foreign court. 
the underlying case, Process and Industrial Development Limited versus the Federal Republic of Nigeria, the court held that the FECIA arbitration exception abrogates a foreign sovereign's immunity in an action to enforce an arbitration award against the sovereign, even if a foreign court has annulled the award. The decision resolves potential uncertainty on the issues stemming from prior DC Circuit decisions that suggested that annulled awards may cease to exist. The decision also makes it harder for foreign sovereigns to avoid the jurisdiction of U.S. courts by annulling unfavorable awards in their sovereign home courts. By way of brief background, while sovereigns have long argued that an annulled award simply does not exist and thus cannot satisfy the FECIA's arbitration exception, which applies in an action to enforce an award, that perspective may warrant further consideration. In the instant case, Nigeria raised this principle to respond to PNID's claim arising out of an agreement between the parties for the latter to build a gas plant. The agreement had an arbitration provision. And when there were various disputes that arose in the contract, PNID was awarded some $9 billion in the resulting arbitration. However, the Nigerian courts annulled the arbitral award, and PNID petitioned the U.S. District Court to enforce the award against Nigeria. In turn, Nigeria argued that it was immune from suit because the award's annulment meant that effectively no award existed to be enforced. Therefore, FECIA's arbitration exception cannot apply. The first time that PNID's case went up on appeal, the D.C. Circuit acknowledged Nigeria's immunity arguments. But on remand, the district court declined to decide the arbitration exception issue. This led to the D.C. Circuit ruling that Nigeria was not immune from suit and the court then ruling that FECIA's arbitration exception abrogates a sovereign defendant's immunity even when a foreign court has annulled the underlying arbitral award. The court reasoned that the question whether an annulled award deserves recognition is best treated as a merits-based question. A couple of brief takeaways. First, the D.C. Circuit's decision resolves any potential ambiguity from its prior decisions on whether FECIA arbitration exceptions apply to annulled awards, i.e. they do, but sovereigns will not be able to avoid the jurisdiction of U.S. courts by annulling unfavorable awards in the foreign sovereign home courts. The ruling also means that at least in some cases, parties may be able to enforce awards more quickly against sovereigns, which may have its own impact on investment arbitration practice. We'll include a link in the show notes. From there, let's take a look at this new ICC report on leveraging technology in international arbitration. On February 18th of 2022, the ICC launched its new commission report titled Leveraging Technology for Fair, Effective, and Efficient International Arbitration Proceedings. The conclusions and recommendations are based on the responses of over 500 members of the arbitration community, surveyed for their views and experiences using legal technology, tools, and solutions. The scope of the report was, one, identify the prevalent technologies being utilized in support of the arbitral process, Two, provide insight into the features and functionality that may enhance the arbitral process. And three, discuss useful procedural practices and pitfalls to be avoided. The goal of the report is to provide guidance in response to evolving standards and norms in international arbitration caused by accelerating digitalization of the legal industry and its clients. Importantly, the report also provides a number of practical pointers for consideration, things like file transfer protocols, online case management platforms, and artificial intelligence. The report goes deep, and we don't have time to get into a detailed analysis, but we will mention some of the other takeaways. 
First, the importance of cybersecurity and data privacy, and the report provides some examples and principles for active parties to implement. However, the cost of implementing some of these protocols must be weighed against the value that they may provide to the parties and the tribunals. Additionally, the report notes that several major rule sets have implemented changes and policies to accommodate for the virtual reality and similar implications of virtual hearings. This raises questions not only as to cost, but in the presentation of evidence, screen fatigue, confidentiality, and time zone coordination. Finally, there's some interesting statistics appended to the report, namely that 88% of respondents agreed that virtual meetings should be the known post-pandemic to conduct case management and other procedural conferences, which is in stark contrast to a minority of respondents who are implementing these types of practices prior to the pandemic. We'll include a link to the report in the show notes. Then for our last story of this week, we head to France, where a French court examined the applicability of arbitration clauses to non-signatories. France is well known for its arbitration-friendly approach, and it is against this context that French courts have recognized the possibility of extending an arbitration agreement to non-signatory third parties. Such an extension is permitted when it can be established the non-signatory had knowledge of the arbitration agreement and implicitly consented to arbitrate potential disputes. Many in the field may be tempted to reach for the quote, group of companies doctrine. A group of companies alone is not justification. Rather, the key question in French court is whether the non-signatory had the relevant knowledge and consent to be bound by the arbitration agreement. To answer that question as to implicit consent, French courts have established that it can be presumed from the non-signatory third party's participation in the negotiations, performance, or negotiations of the contract containing the agreement. The consequences of the principle are twofold. One, as a positive, it may allow a claimant to benefit from an arbitration to which it was not a party. And second, as a negative, a non-signatory party may be compelled to arbitrate a dispute even though it is not a party to the underlying arbitration agreement. This analysis is founded in overarching principles of French contract law inquiring as to whether a contract in its own right and the validity and effect on the underlying and independent contract and the privity of contract between the parties. In applying these tests, French courts have looked to the 1982 Dow Chemical case before the ICC whereby arbitrators extended the arbitration agreement to a subsidiary and a parent company. The award stated that it was the mutual intention of all the parties to be bound by the arbitration agreement by virtue of the third party's role in the conclusion, performance, and termination of the contracts containing the arbitration clauses. Clarity on this topic is important as global transactions increase in complexity both on the merits and the parties involved. We'll include a link exploring this topic in the show notes. That's it for Disputes Digest. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn and just drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com if you have comments, questions, or feedback for the show. And, well, look, we're already in mid-March, which means season four of Tales of the Tribunal is right around the corner. We have some great interviews queued up for you guys and we can't wait to share it with you. Anyway, that's it for the show. And until next week, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.